again, everybody. Stuart Gandalf here with another podcast. Um, today, I'm excited again to uh, speak with Rob Klein, who is um, not only smart, but funny and good-looking as well. <laughs> um, um, not <laughs> no, we've, uh, I met Rob a couple of years ago, and he's a very smart, thought leader kind of guy, um, and uh, thinks a lot like we do. So I was excited to, or I'm excited to have him back with us again today. Um, we are um, going to talk today. Another thing that he said last, and the last time I saw him speak was, "Hey, doctor, my time is just as valuable as yours," and that really resonated with me in terms of, you know, philosophically where we are as a company. And those of you that read our blog constantly know we constantly push these consumer-oriented themes. And before I turn the ball over to Rob to uh, start sharing his wisdom, the one of the things that we talk about a lot in our seminars is that it all starts with the product, right? Everybody, you know, amateur marketers rush right to the promotion, um, but the good marketers think a lot about the product. And this time sensitivity is a big, big issue. So, Rob, you know, you said that, you know, you, you volunteered that phrase, um, tell me more about, you know, the idea of, Doctor, my time is valuable, or my time is just as valuable as yours. How did that even come about? Where, where is this coming from? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on again, Stuart. Looking uh, forward to our discussion today. So where it really came about in, in all of the market research that I'm doing, talking with, with folks in, in focus groups or whether it's in a quantitative survey, I think the impetus really is the Affordable Care Act. What I'm finding, I just, I just uh, conducted another omnibus survey nationally, and I'm finding that basically 6 in 10 Americans are saying, my costs have gone up after ACA has been implemented. So what I'm hearing anecdotally, say in my focus groups qualitatively, consumers are saying to me, I'm spending more money on health insurance than I ever did. My deductibles have gone up, my copay, et cetera, my monthly premiums. So I have more skin in the game. So I truly am becoming a customer. And that's probably one of the biggest changes I'm seeing is that consumers are starting to say, I want to have more of a customer retail-like experience than the traditional patient experience. They're more active as opposed to passive. We associate um, patients as being more passive. Whatever the doctor says, that's fine with me. Now, because they have more skin in the game, they are acting more like a retail customer. And so what's happening is their expectations are changing. The other thing with the, with the costs going up with health insurance is that's hitting their pocketbook. And so when they're waiting for the doctor to come and see them, they truly are saying, my time is now as valuable as yours because I'm paying more. And also a little unintended consequence from the recession that we had back in 2008 is that a lot of people, if they lost their job and they got a new job, many people are coming back into the workforce more part-time or they're not getting benefits like they did before. And so if they're coming back part-time or they're not eligible for benefits, many times when they, or if they're coming back as hourly wages, let's say, when they go to the physician's office, they're having to clock out. So if they're sitting there for two or three hours waiting, and I know that's an exaggeration, but let's say just an hour. It takes them a half an hour to get there. They wait an hour. They're with the doctor maybe half an hour, and then half an hour to get back to work. That could literally be a three-hour block of time for a very short amount of time they're actually with the physician, and they're not being paid for that. So even if their copay is only 5 or $10, they may have just lost 
three hours of wages because they had to clock out and wait to see the, the physician. So that's not only are people saying my time is as valuable as yours because they have higher expectations as a retailer in a retail experience, but oftentimes they're not being paid. They're off the clock when they're sitting there. So that doctor, my, my uh, time is as valuable as yours, really has a two-pronged approach. And, it, and really, it's a, it's a, a double-edged sword. And it's, it's negative on both ways for that patient sitting, excuse me, that customer. I need to start calling them what they want to be called. That customer is really becoming impatient. So our excuses of why we're running late aren't working like they used to. So the, um, looking at this, one of the reasons why I got involved in marketing, in fact, um, oddly, even though most people think of me as a creative person, I was going to be an engineer because I was always good in science and math. But I think probably the one thing that fascinated me the most when I stumbled into a marketing elective class, which changed my life, was consumer behavior. And um, even back then, when you know, years ago, when I went to undergraduate marketing class, they were talking about, I remember uh, one whole class was about time scarcity. And I remember specifically the teacher playing Cats in the Cradle, if you remember that song, about, you know, I'm, you know I don't have time for my own kids. And so that was some, um, sort of a macro consumer trend about people being more and more time stressed. Um, do you find that's also an issue uh, today, just, you know, either anecdotally or things you've read or, you know, experiences in talking to patients? Is it truly, or if you look back at um, uh, Toffler's uh, uh, Future Shock, um, talked about, you know, the rate of change would increase it, uh, to the point where people couldn't adapt to it. Do you find these things as well, just the lack of time in people's life altogether? Absolutely. In fact, I'm going to play off of one word you just said. Uh, you said time stressed. Stress is really the word that I'm finding. In fact, I'll throw another word along with that I hear a lot from, from, from consumers is I'm feeling rushed. And I think time rushed or time stressed, uh, those two words are interchangeable to me. People feel like there's no time to get anything done. Part of that has to do with technology. So much information is coming in. Life is becoming like drinking through a fire hose. And so yeah. we, we have to be in multiple places at, at one time. How many times do you hear parents talk about, okay, who's taking this kid there? I'm taking this kid there. It's almost like coordinating a military operation because it's, we can't be in two places at once. Being in a healthcare setting is stressful enough. Let's face it, other than if you're pregnant and going in for a checkup, which is a blessed event, most of the time when you're having a healthcare event, let's, we keep picking on the physician office, but physician offices really are on the front line of this retailization. So they're the ones getting hit hardest and first. So when someone is coming into that physician office, they are not having a good day most of the time. They're sick, injured, what have you. So time starts weighing on them more heavily. And so maybe something that is only a five-minute wait feels like a 15-minute wait to them. We know that in the human mind, time is not linear. That's been proven over and over again with different experiments. And so when somebody's just waiting there, the other thing is we give them nothing to do. We could take a, we could take a playbook from uh, a play from the Disney playbook in terms of how they manage wait. They don't necessarily reduce the wait time. They make the wait time 
go by faster by distracting you. So they understand that wait time is not linear in people's minds. And so in healthcare, we don't do anything to help them with that wait time. And so people start getting agitated very, very quickly. And I think, I think you're right, that whole aspect of stress and feeling rushed, um, people say, are already thinking, I've got all these errands, I've got to get back to work. So their mind is racing as they're waiting there. And again, we don't do anything to be empathetic to their, their time. So I think actually, if I can go back to that statement, Doctor, my time is as valuable as yours, it really has a, a larger implication in that the person is saying, and it's not, they're using time as the surrogate. What they're saying is, you don't care about me. My needs are not important to you. It happens to be wait time or, or time is manifesting itself, but it really means something bigger than that. It means you're not adapting to my changing needs and my changing desires, my changing challenges. And so that's what retail does very well. As we talked about in our prior podcast about retail's learning healthcare faster than healthcare is learning retail, that really is what this whole picture of my time is as valuable as yours. That's really what it means is <clears throat> my needs have changed. I'm stressed in my everyday living and you're not in tune with that and adapting. I hear more and more in my qualitative research with patients slash customers saying, I love my doctor, but the rest of the experience is horrible. I found in my, in my an omnibus survey I did recently nationally that 12% of consumers are to the point where the office experience slash office staff are, is so bad that they are seriously considering leaving that physician. Now, someone might say 12% uh, is no big deal. It's a small number. But then I ask, I'll ask clients, what if across all of your physician practices, 12% of the patients disappeared off the rolls? Would you care? Every single one of them says, oh, boy, that would be a huge loss. And so that's a, that's a big number when you think of it that way. And so just having a doctor that people like is no longer good enough. Having this retail mentality, having the entire experience, which includes getting them in efficiently. For example, consumers say to me over and over, why can I get a restaurant reservation with open table, but I have to call and argue with, my doc, at my, with someone at my doctor's office? And they'll say those terms, call and argue. Calling for an appointment is not a pleasant experience for people. Plus, they know how to do it better because they experience it with retail, for example, like an open table. Or they'll say, why can't they call me or text me that they're running late and tell me to come an hour later? That would go such a long way in saying, we know your time is valuable too, and so we're going to do things to make sure you don't sit. Some people are okay if they have to wait a bit as long as they're, there's something that's comfortable, they have things to read or keep occupied. Other people are like, why don't you get rid of the waiting room? And that really is the future, is getting rid of the waiting room by having just-in-time delivery of service. Every other industry is doing it, <clears throat> me. and so they don't understand why, why we can't do that now, is when they walk in, they're seen immediately. So we talk about how do we make the waiting room more comfortable? 
what I'm hearing is get rid of the waiting room because that the waiting room in and of itself indicates a failure in service delivery. By the way, we usually counsel people to call it a reception area versus a waiting room, <laughs> but the um, but yes, it's, it's just a couple of anecdotes that are amazing to me that come out of this. Number one, today I delivered my car um, for um, service, and they this particular dealership just has it down. I walk up, I have an appointment, they pick up my car, I walk into the service guy, I'm out of there, they give me a rental car. It's seamless. You know, it's um, certainly more expensive than the average place, but it's seamless, and it's built around me. And I, today I got four tires when I could have skimped on one. Um, because I still had a little bit of tread on the other three, but I went for all four because it's been so hard for me to get down to the dealership because of time stress. It's over and over and over again. So I bought tires, three of which are probably a little bit early because of time stress. And so they were able to upsell me. Um, the, uh, uh, Lauren is our uh, director of hospital business development is in the room with me and she's been listening quietly in the background. Um, why don't you share your anecdote about Lauren, um, the uh, experience with your OB-GYN and what they do when they're running late? Um, normally, and Rob, they do this, which is actually a great idea. As you know, OB-GYNs run late quite a bit. So normally what she'll do is if she's running late, I mean, she's called me all the way up to 45 minutes before my appointment down to 15 minutes of, uh, before my appointment. But it'll either be her. Most of the time it's either her calling me or, um, or her assistant calling me or texting me. First they'll call. And they'll ask, she'll actually say, hi, Lauren, I'm running late. I really want to see you, but I understand if you can't make it and you have other obligations. If you want to wait for me, go to the front desk. I'll have a Starbucks card waiting for you. You can go have a cup of coffee because it's right across. It's in Orange County, so it's right across from the mall. And go shopping, and I'll be there in 45 minutes. If not, you know, go to the front desk, and, you know, we can reschedule. But every single time she's running late, they have a ten dollars Starbucks card waiting for me at the front desk. So that's and a big I bet step that in the right. You very loyal to that. It does that. make me very loyal because I understand she's late, but at least she calls me and lets me know. She well, Rob, what I love. Your time. Exactly. 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 And Rob, what I really loved was the insight that you were able to enunciate that in a way that I haven't before, which is that shows you don't care about me. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, I remember I once saw Tony Robbins speak and he was talking about some people feel loved when you tell them. Some people feel loved uh, when you physically hug them. But some people feel like you only love me if you show me you love me. And that's what this comes down to, I think, is, you know, you can tell me you love me. You can tell me you care about me. But I don't feel respected if you're uh, not running on time or if you're not, at least not doing something positive. So I thought that was very insightful. And Lauren, your uh, doctor is making lemons out of lemonade, I think, in that particular case. I was going to add, I have a, a possible new quote for you just uh, for fun. Um, as I was um, in D.C. a few days ago with some, uh, some uh, colleagues of mine, we were talking about how things are changing. And, you know, that word change is an interesting word. And it, it occurred to me that other industries embrace change. In healthcare, we seem to resent change because we feel frustrated and powerless that we can't really do the types of change that other industries are doing because we are restricted, whether it's regulations, laws, et cetera. And so there's a frustration that we can't fix it. We know we have to. And we resent the, 
not so much the change. We resent the fact that it's it's not changeable, or we haven't figured out a way to make it uh, changeable. So I thought that was an interesting uh, uh, dialogue that we had about change. Absolutely. You know, it's funny, though, in response to that, I would say, you know, going back to another thing you said a little while ago about making an appointment when you have to argue with them. Are you kidding? I can't get anybody on the phone to argue with. I finally have a moment to call when I need to get to a a normal doctor's office, and it's at lunchtime. Guess what? They're closed from 12 to 2. So I shrug and go back to work, and I think about it again at 5.30. Oops, they're closed now. It's infuriating to me. It drives me absolutely Name one retailer that's ever closed at lunch. (laughs) Great point. That's excellent. That's really... You know, the other thing, too, Stuart, is I back in the early 80s, right out of college, I went to work for a bank. And if you remember, back in the early 80s, there was this negative term that was called banker's hours. Yep, oh, absolutely. you're on banker's hours, which meant you really weren't very open, accessible, or you didn't work hard if you worked at a bank. I, I can remember absolutely. friends and family saying, oh, you must have banker's hours, which means you came at a certain time, and you left at a certain time, and that was it. Well, banking worked very hard to eliminate banking hours. They don't exist anymore. It's not a term that is a derogatory term that we use anymore. What's taken its place is physician hours, is the new banker's hours. Wow, that's that's a great point. You know, it's funny. I was meeting with a client in New York. Uh, we referred to a little earlier, and when we were talking offline, and I, I figured out they thought they were convenient, so I took the total number of hours they're open, divided it by the number of hours in the week. I'm like, oh, look, you guys are closed 75% of the time. <laughs> so they never thought of it that way. But if you do the math, that's what it turns out to be for the average, you know, sort of 40-hour work week for a practice. Um, another question I have for you is um, the idea of um, – you mentioned this earlier about wage earners who are docked for their time – um, you know, it's interesting because um, I think different people, everybody loves convenience and time, uh, but for different reasons. Tell me about what you found between sort of, you know, blue-collar workers versus white-collar workers versus anybody else. Because it appears to me that it, there's a different attitude. The, the blue-collar folks you just mentioned are, and maybe not only necessarily blue-collar today, because the way things have changed, but Tell me about the other end of the economic scale, people that are making money and are you know, comfortable. What are their attitudes about their time? They're different because they're not as financially based because they're not hourly, but their time is very, very valuable to them in, in different ways because they're trying to focus on climbing the corporate ladder. And you know with the, with the unemployment rate and the way things have changed, many companies have pared down fewer people are doing more jobs. And so the 40-hour work week is starting to go back up. And right there, that is, that is a, a huge conflict that, those, that uh, a white-collar or uh, a career professional has is if I'm away from work waiting two or three hours, how is that looking with my boss in terms of my drive to, uh, uh, to get ahead? So that that definitely is just as big of a challenge, just in a different way. So my time is valuable in that I need it for my career. And I'll tell you, what's going to be replacing physician office visits and already starting and already is starting to is telemedicine. Whether yeah. it's a, an yeah. MD Live or any other any other type of telemedicine that's out there, more and more I'm finding consumers are saying, 
you know what, I'll pay 20, 30 bucks to talk with someone, whether I'm Skyping with them or it's just a voice discussion. If I can do that from my office, even though I know I'm sick and I still want to work, or I do it from home, if I can talk with them and maybe they even see me and I don't have to go in, I'll pay a little extra because what I have saved in either lost wages or aggravation and stress from being away and having to drive, get in the car, especially if it's wintertime. So, again, that whole telemedicine is appealing across the spectrum, whether it's a millennial, whether it's a blue-collar worker, whether it's a white-collar worker. That is really going to be transformative in terms of receiving primary care. So my question to brick-and-mortar physician offices is, what are you doing in response to this new disruptive technology that we have in terms of telemedicine? You know, it is a challenge. It's funny. I was sharing um, a story, and I can't remember if I did it on our last podcast. The last time I was uh, got sick, I called. I knew I had the flu. My kids both had the flu. I was just coming back from teaching a seminar in the car on the way to the airport. I felt the symptoms. I told everybody that was traveling with me, stay away from me. I'm getting sick. And I texted my um, primary care doctor. Who's my primary care doctor specifically? Because I can text him, and um, because and he um, uh, my, dealt with this while I was on the plane. I got home. I took Tamiflu. My wife had already picked up Tamiflu from the um, uh, drugstore. I slept. The next morning, I woke up feeling like fantastically better because we caught it so early. I did not have to go sit in the ER. I did not have to go sit in the urgent care. So I shared this anecdote with a client um, the other day, and they were saying, yeah, but how did he get reimbursed for that? And so it is challenging because I get that they won't get reimbursed, but he has my business because he does that. So the um, I don't know if the health care laws will change. I'm not begrudging his office visit check, but I certainly, when I'm coming down with 103-degree fever, I'm not excited about spending you know, trying to get into an office which is probably closed anyway or going sitting in urgent care or the emergency room when it's pretty obvious I have all the symptoms and I have two kids that have already been diagnosed and are already on Tamiflu. So I think you're right. It's like if, if I did not have this primary care doctor, I for sure would have done telemedicine for that. Um, well, why would I want to go? Reimbursement for physicians. Well, I'll tell you, in my research, the vast majority of Americans are comfortable talking with a physician that's not theirs they're also comfortable talking with a nurse practitioner or a physician's assistant if it means they can get in, or not get in, but be seen or heard right away. So it's amazing. We think that these primary care physicians think that it's all about them, and if they can't see me, they're just going to wait. That's not the case. So they are making choices. And if they're seeing someone, again, I go back to like an MD Live just for illustrative purposes, but they have their own staff of physicians. So what's for a health system to use that, they're getting a built-in expanded physician base because they don't have to hire any new physicians because they come as part of that, that package, if you will, and that's just taking business away from their own, their own uh, physicians. So they're not being compensated. Their, their patients are sometimes going to a, uh, a telemedicine. So that has huge implications on reimbursement, which is basically revenue. For physicians, I've talked with some physicians uh, groups about turning their practice into an urgent care center before and after normal business hours. That way, their practice still gets the revenue and you know from the reimbursement, and their their brand looks like it's listening and empathetic to people's time constraints by expanding. 
Um, right now, urgent care is plan B. And what that means is people go to an urgent care center when their primary care physician has failed them in terms of access. So every time someone goes to an urgent care center, their brand is taking a hit, and they don't realize it. And again, it goes back to my time is as valuable as yours. You know, in our seminar, we have a big slide. One of my first slides is of a boxer, kind of like Rocky, all sweaty and a little bloody. And I said, this is what you're facing these days, guys. You're not getting it. And what's interesting is um, by having that sort of hubris of like, well, you know, I don't get reimbursed, therefore I don't do it. And I understand that. I get it. And primary care, by the way, to me, of all the jobs in healthcare, is probably the hardest. I mean, you have to know everything about everything. If you don't do it right, you get sued. Um, the the compensation is much for other specialties. But at the end of the day, there's competitors that are gleefully uh, waiting for you to not take care of your patient, <laughs> who are happy, and whether you know it or not, uh, they're happy to accept them. And suddenly, you don't see them at all because they're not going there anymore. And eventually, as these other guys expand, uh, there'll be a you know, request for records change because you know they've already been developed a new relationship someplace else. So it is hard. I get that to, you know, we have listeners both from, you know, from, uh, great big hospitals and corporations down to private practices, and I get you know the private practice listeners that are listening to this. But at the end of the day, the world has changed and is changing at just light speed. Uh, the last comment on my side, uh, and then Rob, I'd like you to give some final words. Is a couple nights ago, uh, I, I with my life, it wasn't just by the way career; it's kids. So I think people's lives and my because another thing I remember about, and I've noticed the consumer trend over years is kids. And so, you know, kids were not the center of people's lives when I was a kid. They just weren't. And now kids are the centers of people's lives. So they've got kids sports or whatever. And for us, our kids are totally not athletic. So instead they have music and acting and things like that. So both our girls, my wife, when we're practicing piano on Sunday, is like, eh, it's our soccer. (laughs) But we're running around between this coach to do this or this teacher to do this, or they're rehearsing. We've they both perform at our church, so we've got different things there. They've got their own life groups. They've got all this different stuff going on. So for us, that's a huge issue. And so this particular day was uh, a couple days ago, Monday. I, I had driven to you know an hour to pick up my daughter from home um, to get her because she's going to a special school for her art classes that she has to go to, this you know, um, advanced school, and I drove her back against traffic. And then that night... You know, I'm used to working till 9.30. I mean, I spend time with my kids and, you know, family time, but then I go back to work. At 10 o'clock, I noticed our corporate website was having problems. I was on the phone with the tech guy till 11.30 at night. And I said, oh, can I leave now? My wife is waiting for me. I haven't had dinner yet. <laughs> and I, now that's extreme. I'm the CEO of a company, so my life is kind of crazy anyway. But I think, you know, people live that not, maybe it's not as extreme, but that's certainly not completely uncommon. So the... Um, I just feel like the world has changed, and also the Internet and people doing things and being multitasking, the attention span of a gnat. These are all huge issues. So my point for calling this particular call was just about the essentialness to consider time as a huge part of the marketing strategy. Um, Any additional last thoughts, Rob, from your point of view? Yeah, you know, I was – as we were – I mentioned that that comment earlier about other industries embracing change, but we seem to resent it. As we're talking, I'm wondering if the problem – could even be a little more, a little deeper or more concerning to me is that I wonder if in healthcare we just don't recognize change. It's one thing to recognize it and resent it. I'm wondering if there's some, some folks in our industry that have kind of put their head in the sand and they're not even recognizing that the world has changed and demands and expectations and needs and challenges have changed. I mean, look at millennials. 
research, neural research has been done that shows the, the decision-making, the neurons that fire in a young person's brain when they are making decisions and, and looking at things have fundamentally changed from people like us baby boomers. So basically what's happening is young human beings' minds are wired differently and process information and make decisions fundamentally and physically differently than we do. That's why the new surgeon has to be a gamer. You know, for surgeons nowadays, they're looking to see who is a good gamer. In the military, to go in the Air Force, because there's so much of this, uh, so many pilots are drone pilots, they're not physically in a plane, they're looking for people, young people that were incredible gamers, especially with any type of flying or activity type game that uses a joystick. So that brain is wired. If you look in in the airline industry, there are two types of pilots. The older pilots that were trained under the fly-by-wire, they fly the older planes like a 757 and the old 747s that are still fly-by-wire. The younger pilots, they train them on the newer planes, whether it's the A320 Airbus, things like that. They are fly-by-joystick. They say it's very hard for these pilots to go back and forth between airplane types because of the way their brains are wired. We're not keeping up with how decision-making and brains are wired differently. One of the things I talk about a lot of my seminars, too, is that, you know, it used to be healthcare was sort of artificially sheltered from everything else um, because of regulation and behaviors and patterns and so forth. That's all gone. But that's the topic we can talk about another day. Rob, as always, it's been great talking to you. It's been a lot of fun. I'll definitely have you back from time to time. And uh, looking forward to doing business with you and uh, your firm as well. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. It's been great. Hope you enjoyed it. Rob, thanks again. Thank you again, Stuart. Talk to you soon.